A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At the Movies. A nice walk in the countryside is rudely interrupted. Did you feed it cocaine? No, but you're safe. Bears can't climb trees. Of course they can. Then why are you up here? A daughter remembers happier times on holiday with her father. Well, I turned 11 and you are 130 turning 131 in two days. And some Cornish folk singers have trouble with that difficult second album. There must be something you can do. These are hands, Roman, not magic wands. So that's it, then. Our day in the sun is over. Some bands don't even get that. Three films in this week's programme, and we have a multitude of Venn diagrams available showing the coincidental relationships between them. Three films, two are very loosely based on true stories. Three films, and two have themes of loss and grief. Three films, all three have British or Irish connections, but only one is actually set in that part of the world. Before we look at those, this is the time of year when our attention is also drawn to our local film society. Canterbury started on the 14th of February. Wellingtonians, your programme started last Monday with Robert Mitchum in The Night of the Hunter. Aucklanders, you start next Monday with the wonderfully restored version of Gillian Armstrong's My Brilliant Career from 1979, starring Judy Davis and Sam Neill. A great way to prepare yourself for the imminent arrival of Sir Sam's autobiography, which is due out on the 21st of March. I love you. I want to marry you. Trust me, Seb. It's me I don't trust. Can't you see... The last thing I want is is to be a, a wife out in the bush, having a baby every year. You can have anything you want. There's always a wide array of cinema on offer over a year at the Film Society, but I want to point you in the direction of some more old films. Yes, yes, we also call them classics, but they are old, and there's nothing wrong with that. In this job, I often find myself wishing I could watch something tried and tested rather than the latest novelty. Something like The African Queen, for example, which is the closing night film for both the Wellington and Auckland Film Societies this year. Just why don't you want to go on, Mr. Olner? The river. As Shona. Shona? You're darn right, Shona. All it would take would be one bullet in the blasted gelatin and we'd be a little bit for pieces. Then we'll go by night. Oh, no, we won't. After Shona, there's the rapids, and nobody in their mind Ryan would tackle the rapids at night. But then we'll go in the daylight. We'll go on the far side of the river from Shona just as fast as ever we can. Sometimes old is new at the same time. 
I've never seen Seijun Suzuki's trippy pop culture gangster thriller Tokyo Drifter from 1966, but on Monday in Wellington, I finally get the chance. And among the rare and obscure, there's also the famous and the accessible. But a chance to see Martin Scorsese's taxi driver on the big screen should never be discounted. You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Then who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the f do you think you're talking to? There are 34 remaining screenings in Wellington and 32 for Aucklanders. If you're in another centre, look up the New Zealand Federation of Film Societies to see which one is nearest to you. Most of the programming is shared around the country, although not all regions have as many screenings as the main centres. It's still the best value cinema going around. I've always wanted to see a bear in real life. First on packs in Iceland, and now this. We have such good luck in nature. <laughs> Could you see me? Demented or something. What? Can I get the camera? Yeah. Give me the camera. Demented? I, I, I think we should leave it. It's it's something wrong with it. Come on, come on. Ah! Come on. So cute. Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, Christopher. I'm not afraid. That's <laughs> all. Oh, sweetie, no, of course not. You might remember back in 2006 a film phenomenon called Snakes on a Plane. Samuel L. Jackson played an FBI agent flying a mob witness from Honolulu to Los Angeles, taking on a plane load of venomous snakes released as a murder weapon. It was as silly as it sounds, but it was one of the best examples of a film selling you exactly what it said on the tin. There was a plane and there were snakes. You can't say you didn't know what you were letting yourself in for. This year's equivalent is Elizabeth Banks's Cocaine Bear, a comedy horror about a black bear in an American national park who has stumbled on some lost bags of the illicit white powder and developed a taste for it. Woe betide anyone or anything that comes between her and her Colombian marching powder. Where is it? There's something wrong with it. Yeah, I told you there was. Why is it acting like this? Did you feed it cocaine? No, but you're safe. Bears can't climb trees. Of course they can. Then why are you up here? (sighs) 
The national park is in Chattahoochee in Georgia, and the bear roams around a landmark improbably called Blood Mountain. But I looked it up. It's real. Full marks to the filmmakers for realism there. When a plane carrying lots and lots of duffel bags full of cocaine bricks, enough to build a decent-sized retaining wall or barbecue patio to use the New Zealand system of measurement, it goes down, the pilot ditches the cargo, but his parachute fails to open. It's now open season on all that blow. It's 1985, so much hilarity is assumed at all the haircuts and fashion statements, and an equivalent amount of nostalgia for the music. Depeche Mode is prominent, and composer Mark Mothersbaugh gets to pretend to be Miami Vice-era Harold Faltermeyer. While the bear is getting higher and higher, several groups are closing in. Two middle schoolers are wagging school for the day to go and visit Secret Falls. They're also real, by the way, marked on a map, and actually kind of famous, so not actually all that secret. But they stumble on one of those bricks just before the bear gets there. Mr McKendry, have you ever done cocaine? What? Why do you ask? Just wondering if it has long-term side effects. For the bear, of course, if it just did a little bit. Well, it could create a habit for the bear. Or if they never want to do it again. Oh, then it should be fine. But Mama Bear and Papa Bear will be very angry because drugs, especially cocaine, are very, very bad. What if they would never find out? Oh, Henry, we always find out. The owners of the drugs are on the hook to the cartel if they can't recover it all, so there's a degree of urgency on their part. O'Shea Jackson, Alden Ehrenreich and the late Ray Liotta are the bickering criminals. A park ranger, played by the great Margot Martindale, is wanting to find some quiet time to be with environmentalist Peter, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, but ends up helping the mother of one of the kids, played by Kerry Russell, which is a frustrating exercise for all concerned. Until the bear turns up again, that is, when frustrating doesn't even begin to cover things. I almost forgot Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as Dave, the cop who is hot on the heels of the drug dealers and who himself adds a layer of complication to proceedings. Unfortunately for me, I was reminded of a film I saw much too young, possibly unlawfully but definitely unwittingly, called Grizzly about a massive bear on the loose in a state park. Pretty traumatising for an eight-year-old, and I can report that Cocaine Bear leaves nothing behind in terms of gore and supposedly amusing dismemberments and disembowelings. Hilarious. For the first hour or so, I found myself doing what I often do when I'm not terribly engaged in the story and don't care much for the characters. I get distracted and look at other things, the background, who's playing small roles, that sort of thing. For example... Is that Kerry Russell's husband, Matthew Reese, in a cameo as the failed parachutist at the beginning? Why, yes, it is. The film was mostly shot in Ireland, which is why there are little tidbits of Irishness snuck into the set decoration. The fast-food restaurant where we first meet Ray Liotta at the beginning is leprechaun-themed, for example. And there's a giant roadside billboard that appears a couple of times, advertising a bar called O'Hagan's. But by the final third... And it's only 95 minutes long, which is a blessing. 
when all the extraneous comedy characters have been disposed of and we're left with two mothers determined to protect two sets of cubs and only one of them is out of a gourd on coke. Well, I started to find things a lot more engaging. It actually does feel like a different film at that point, one that cares a little for its characters and encourages you to do so too. A little, at least. Cocaine Bear is rated R16 for graphic violence, drug use and offensive language. A lot of the cursing is done by children, which bothered me more than I thought it would. Am I being too prudish? Anyway, the film is playing in cinemas across Aotearoa now. What's that? <laughs> oh my god, what even is that? These are my moves. That's so embarrassing. That's not embarrassing. Wait! I was oh. going to interview you. Yeah, where were you? What were you going to interview me about? I don't know. Well? Well, I just turned 11, and you are 130, turning 131 in two days. So, when you were 11, what did you think you would be doing now? After all that mayhem, I'm delighted to report that the gently devastating Scottish drama After Sun is a horse of a very different colour. I appreciate that I'm not the first to this. The film has been picking up accolades all over the place since debuting at Cannes back in May last year. And there's an excellent interview that Simon Morris did a couple of weeks ago with the filmmaker Charlotte Wells, which you can find on the At The Movies page of the RNZ website. Regardless, I finally got to see the film this weekend and was, of course, blown away. Not only one of the very best films of the 21st century so far, but one of my favourite films, of all time. Like Cocaine Bear, and this is the final comparison I'll make between these two pictures, After Sun is set in a particular place and time, a time that feels quite strange to us now, a time with no cell phones and digital distractions. It's not that there is no technology, there's a camcorder that proves to be very important and kids bond over arcade video games. But for better or worse, the characters are with each other. They're present until they're not. It's the turn of the 21st century, and 11-year-old Sophie is taking a holiday to Turkey with her dad Callum. Callum and Sophie are Scottish, from Edinburgh. But Callum no longer lives with them. He's trying to make something happen for himself in England. But this week together is important to them both. Callum, played with astonishing grace by Academy Award-nominated Paul Mescal, is a loving father and even signs off his calls to Sophie's mother with I love you, something that Sophie notices. In fact, she notices a lot. She's at that age. But there are connections she can't make 
something that continues to trouble grown-up Sophie through whose emotional memories the story is told. I think it's nice that we share the same sky. What do you mean? Well, like, sometimes at playtime, I look up to the sky, and if I can see the sun, then I think about the fact that we can both see the sun, so even though we're not actually in the same place and we're not actually together, we kind of are in a way, you know? Like, we're both underneath the same sky, so... For the first few scenes of the film, Callum is often slightly out of frame or out of focus or shot from behind or in a mirror, emphasising that these are Sophie's memories and that, like all memories, they're incomplete, a puzzle that continues to be put together over time. But there are sections when Callum appears full frame and face on, often in scenes when Sophie isn't present. Does that mean he is clearer to her in her imagination than in her memories? The way the film expresses time as non-linear, everything hazily accessible all at once, is so beautifully handled. It's not metaphysical, but it is mesmerising. The storytelling requires our understanding that time has passed and is passing, but it doesn't rely on simple techniques like flashbacks or voiceover. We just travel with it. We're carried. Is this what you do all your own, man? You sound like my anana, my mother's mom. Your grandma? Yeah. She would prefer that I had a proper job. <laughs> what was your shoe size? Uh, ten. Ten. Fourteen. Four. Forty-four. Yeah. I think this should be. Yeah. You know, I used to travel a lot. One season somewhere, next season somewhere else. But now I'm here, back home. And do you miss it? Traveling. Hey. Not as much as I was missing home, to be honest. And I'm going to have a baby soon. Yay, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, a few years ago, I thought I would be at least 40 before all that. But. I can't see myself at 40, to be honest. Surprised I made it to 30. Shot on grainy 35mm by Gregory Oak, whose previous work, like editor Blair McClendon I'm unfamiliar with, is outstanding. The Turkish heat, the water, the skin tones, all beautiful. I haven't felt like this about a film since Barry Jenkins' Moonlight blew me away six or seven years ago. As Simon pointed out in his interview with Charlotte Wells, a lot of this is down to the casting, and I would say especially the casting of young newcomer Frankie Corio as Sophie. Both of these characters are on powerful and life-changing journeys, and you can read all of the alternating confidence and confusion on her face as the week goes on. If this is the future of British filmmaking or independent medium-budget filmmaking generally, bring it on. And it's a film that does need, and I know we say this all the time, but this time it really is true, to be seen on a big screen. Sometimes subtlety has to be blown up really big so you don't miss it. Tender is the night, lying by your side. Tender is the touch, the sound. 
live in the Scotland? No. Why? It's not enough sun. Very funny. <laughs> it's all in the past for me, that's all. And there's this feeling once you leave where you're from, like where you grew up, that mm, you don't totally belong there again. Not really. But Edinburgh's never... Never felt like I really did belong there. I do. It's home. That's good. I'm glad you feel that way. But you never know where you'll end up, though. Eh? You can live wherever you want to live. Be whoever you want to be. After Sun is rated M for offensive language, nudity and flashing images that may cause seizures. It's playing in select cinemas across New Zealand now. You know, the fame hasn't changed it. Oh, we're still very happy to play for common people like you. Finally, a sequel to a film I gave short shrift to on this programme back in November 2019. Fisherman's Friends was an inoffensive biopic about a group of amateur Cornish singers thrust into the national spotlight with an unexpected hit record. The British really love their novelty music. It hardly crossed my mind that Fisherman's Friends would become a franchise, but there appears to be no shortage of appetite for sea shanties and oilskins-to-riches stories. There's even a stage musical based on the band's life and the first film. Despite constantly professing their Cornish authenticity and their disdain for the music business machine, they seem to have found themselves at the centre of something of an empire. Now, it should be pointed out that the first film was only historically accurate on the most basic of levels. There once was a ten-man a cappella singing group called the Fisherman's Friends, and they come from Port Isaac in Cornwall, and they put out a few records. The rest is romantic fiction. For the second film, we can add one more element of accuracy, although the dates are all over the place. Their triumphant breakfast-time slot on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. The biggest stage at the biggest festival in the world. Yes, it happened. But not quite like this. There's no easy way to say this. The president of the label has decided to drop the band. What about the album? We can't release something we don't represent. There must be something you can do. 
These are hands, Rowan, not magic wands. So that's it, then. Our day in the sun is over. Some bands don't even get that. This isn't just any old album later, you know. Jago sings on a couple of the tracks. It's dedicated to his memory. I'm sensitive to the situation, Maggie. But for the label, it's strictly business. Well, it might be business to you, my dear, but it's personal to me. Jago has a chance to live on through song. I'm sorry, Maggie. I really am. But this comes from the top. There's nothing I can do. If you recall the original film, the group's leader, Jim, James Purifoy, not a Cornishman, he's from Somerset, so that's another betrayal, loses his father, Jago, a tenor in the group and the keeper of the flame. At the beginning of the second, Jim is still reeling and also quietly drowning his sorrows when he isn't noisily getting into scraps with record company executives and new band members. He takes particular exception to the man chosen to be the replacement for his father, a Welsh farmer called Morgan Jenkins, played by Richard Harrington. His father was irreplaceable, for one thing, but by a sheep shagger was simply intolerable. His attitude briefly breaks up the band, until the presence of a recovering rock star in the village, played by first-time actor, Irish rocker and bona fide friend of Bono, Imelda May, as well as an almost tragic accident, causes him to see the error of his ways. There are ten men in the Fisherman's Friends group, but only about four of them are allowed to have speaking parts, and I remind you that none of the actors are actually Fisherman's Friends. And the singing is pleasant enough, but the song choices this time around are not nearly as shanty as they were last time. Some of it is a bit bland, if you ask me. Come on, son, get over yourself. Look where you are. You're singing in one of the best venues in the country. I, I am as open-minded as the next man, my lord. You well know. But you've got to draw a line in the sand somewhere, ain't you? No, it's bad enough being told what we can and can't catch out there, but blokes like him, he's been given subsidies not a farm. Right now, father would be spinning in his grave. No, son, you are wrong there. Jago was a man of the people. Some of his oldest friends worked the land. And you can pack that whiskey in and all. Oh, oh, you've had it right up to here. We were fussing. Where I am inclined to give Fisherman's Friends all for one a bit more credit is the Cornishness, which seems to me to be a little less cartoony, a little less corny, played a bit less for laughs than before. It's a beautiful part of England and the coastline and countryside are showcased very nicely. The English tourist board should be happy. And Port Isaac itself is just ridiculously pretty. Six months before the All For One album was released in real life in August 2013, the band experienced a genuine, shocking tragedy when a steel door at a venue they were playing fell down and killed singer Trevor Grills and the band's manager Paul McMullen. The original All For One album was a tribute to the two men and featured Grills as a soloist. Now, that's altogether too much actual drama for a light-hearted picture like this one to have to deal with, so I understand why they chose not to follow the path of real life in that particular case. But it does go to show how weak the drama is that they've chosen, and how screenwriters and first-time directors Nick Moorcroft and Meg Leonard give themselves such an easy get-out each time. 
Like the band on which it is based, Fisherman's Friends All for One is unpretentious and wants to deliver a good time. And if you're not worried about the truth of any of it, that might be more than enough for you. Because I was born here And here I shall die Fisherman's Friends 2, one and all, is rated PG for coarse language and sexual references, and it is playing in select cinemas around the Motu now. And that's our programme for this week. I'm going to leave you with one of the impeccable song choices from Charlotte Wells' unbelievably good film, After Sun. This is Blur from 1999's 13 album. The song is Tender. This week's programme was written and produced by me, Dan Slevin, and edited and engineered by Phil Benj. Simon Morris will be fighting fit again next week, so I hope you'll make a point of joining him at the same time here on RNZ National. Tender is the night, lying by your side. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.